First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. The book of Ruth, chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied, and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her, Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until we, they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. If I can't see God, how do I know for sure he's involved in my life? I don't know 
what the future has in store for me. How will our needs be met? I'm not from here. Will I ever fit in? Will I ever belong? I want to have hope. Who can I hope in? Will a Redeemer ever come for me? pray together. Father, you know all and you see all and you know every detail of every one of our lives. For each of us in this place, you know what this last week has held. Lord, you know what we're going through. You know what burdens we may have carried in to this place with us today. And so, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you take this perfect word that you've given? And, Father, would you speak it to our hearts? That each of us would hear what we need to hear this day from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone loves a good love story. At least ladies love love stories for sure. And I think that a lot of guys probably like love stories more than their manliness will let them admit. But some of you ladies have probably been in the movie theater and seen a tear running down your husband's cheek at that climactic scene, and he quickly wipes it away. But, but there is a reason why uh, romantic comedies rake in uh, the money at the box office, why uh, romantic novels are sometimes on the bestseller list. I think it's just hardwired into us to love love stories. And if you love love stories, then you'll love the book of Ruth. Because this is a classic love story. And the love story in this book is primarily told in the middle two chapters of this book. And that's why I've entitled the message today, Love Story Part 1, The Gentleman and the Gleaner. You know, one of the most important parts of a good love story is how a couple first met. And if you're married or engaged here today, think back to that time when you first met that significant other in your life. Maybe there's some teenagers or kids here and you don't actually know that part of your parents' story. Maybe that would be a good lunchtime conversation. Who knows? Maybe they have a good story, an interesting story about where they met. Well, in Ruth chapter 2, we read that part of Ruth and Boaz's love story. We read about when and where and how they first met. But you know, primarily, the book of Ruth isn't about their love story at all. It's about a different one. It's about the ultimate love story between God and His people. And the book of Ruth is about God's love for us and how we respond to that love and how we can learn to trust Him more and more and more. And you know, even though God loves us with an unbelievable, extravagant love, that doesn't mean 
that we will never experience difficult circumstances in our lives. Last week, we read and talked about Ruth chapter 1, and we saw that this story, this love story, really didn't get off to a very good start. In fact, this little book had a tragedy-filled beginning. The story starts with a famine in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. And then this man Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons make the questionable decision to leave the land of Israel and go to Moab. After they get there, Elimelech dies. And then their two sons get married. And soon after that, their two sons die also. So there are three funerals in this family in the span of just a few years. And after that, all that is left is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Well, then Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, and she urges her two daughters-in-law to return to Moab. And one of them does, but one of them, Ruth, commits herself to Naomi, commits herself to Naomi's people, and most importantly, commits herself to Naomi's God, the God of Israel. And she travels back to Israel, to the city of Bethlehem, with Naomi. And as we saw last week, even though Naomi is accompanied by this woman with incredible loyalty and and character. And and despite the joy of Naomi's old friends who rush out to meet her, Naomi is not filled with joy. She's filled with bitterness. In fact, she's angry with the Lord. She believes that God is out to get her. And she's upset that her life has turned out the way that it has. And really, when you step back and look at it, as these two women, Ruth and Naomi, enter into Bethlehem, really they were in a very precarious position. Because in that culture, they really didn't have a good way to make a living. They probably didn't know how they were going to make it. They didn't know where to turn. And maybe for one reason or another, that's where you find yourself right now. Maybe you're at a low point. Maybe financially you have hit rock bottom. Maybe emotionally you're as low and as down as you have ever been. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that that is struggling. I, I don't know, but maybe for one reason or another, you find yourself right where Ruth and Naomi were at rock bottom with nowhere to turn. Well, when you don't know where to turn, what do you do? Well, first off, you trust in God's plan. And you know, really, that's true for all of us. Whether right now you look at your life and from your vantage point, things are going well or they're not, the Lord wants us to trust in His sovereign plan for us. But when the wheels seem like they're falling off, that can be hard to do, can it? Because sometimes we don't understand what the Lord is doing. We don't understand why he's allowed certain things to take place. And and certainly that's how Naomi felt. Her husband was dead. Her two sons were dead. And all she had left was a daughter-in-law that she couldn't seem to get rid of no matter how hard she tried. And rather than being comforted by Ruth's presence, I believe at this moment that Ruth just reminded Naomi of all that had gone wrong in her life. And Ruth represented for Naomi just one more mouth to feed, a mouth that she didn't know how she was going to feed. 
But Naomi was about to find out that God had not forgotten her after all. That the Lord had a plan all along. And friend, I hope that you hear that today, that God has not forgotten about you either. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life if you will turn to him and trust him in everything. Now, As the reader of this story, we get a little sneak peek in verse 1. We read about the man that God was going to use in his plan. And we read about him even before Ruth meets him and even before Naomi is reminded about him. Listen to verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. You notice the name Boaz is saved for the very last word in the verse, almost as if the narrator is, is building suspense before he gives us this man's name. It's important that he is a relative of Elimelech, part of his family. And we'll talk more about why that matters later. But notice how he's described. He's described as a man of great wealth. And the word wealth there can also mean capability or strength or, or power. The idea is that Boaz was a man that was well-respected, a man of high standing, a man of strength. In fact, even his name means in him is strength. He's a strong man. He's a high-quality man. As one person put it, Boaz has all the right stuff to solve the problem that Naomi and Ruth were in. But after introducing us to him, the narrator backtracks and picks up the story back at Naomi's house where Ruth and Naomi are talking about what to do next. And Ruth says this in verse 2, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. As I said earlier, in this culture, there weren't a lot of options for two women without husbands and without sons to make a living and to survive. And yet, because our God is a God of compassion, and because throughout his word, he says that his eyes are on the poor, his eyes are on the widow, his eyes are on the orphan, he has built into his law, Moses' law that we find in the first five books of the Bible, laws that are designed to protect and provide for people exactly like Ruth and Naomi. And some of those laws have to do with what Ruth just asked Naomi if she could go and do. She said, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain. Here's what the Word of God says about gleaning in Leviticus 19. God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And listen to this in Deuteronomy 24. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. 
So basically, God's command to those who owned land was to not harvest all the way out to the corners of the field, but to leave something there, to leave a little bit along the edges of the field for the poor, for gleaners to be able to come behind them. God's command was after you've gone through and done your harvest, don't go back again and see if you dropped anything behind, but leave that for the gleaners to come through the field. And specifically, the Word of God mentions the poor, the strangers, those who are foreigners, and widows. Now, Ruth was all three of those things, right? She was a widow, she was a foreigner, and she was poor, and the Lord cared for Ruth. And the Lord made a way for Ruth and Naomi to be taken care of. Now we read that the barley harvest had just gotten underway at the very end of chapter 1. And so Ruth wants to get out and begin to glean in the fields right away. We don't know why Naomi does not go along with her. Presumably two would have been better than one working in the fields. But at least she, at least she says to her, go my daughter, and gives her permission. And then we come to verse 3 and we read this. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. You know, I think it is so beautiful that this story in the book of Ruth takes place in the fields just outside of Bethlehem. The, the very same fields where centuries later there would be shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night who would look up in the nighttime sky and see an angelic choir that would announce to them and to us the birth of the Savior of the world. In these very same fields, Ruth was about to meet her Redeemer. Now the fields at this time would have been common land without any fences or, or boundaries, but there would have been an indication uh, what portion of the field belonged to which family. And so verse 3 says Ruth just happened uh, to go to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. The phrase there literally means by chance she chanced upon his field. We, we might say as luck would have it, she ended up in Boaz's field. But of course, what the narrator means by that is the exact opposite of that. What the narrator means is that, of course, it isn't luck. Of course, it is the hand of the living God, the sovereign hand of God that led her exactly there. This wasn't Ruth's plan, but this was God's plan unfolding right before our eyes. It was the Lord who brought them back right at the beginning of the harvest time, and it was the Lord who brought Ruth right to this particular field because there's someone in this field that God wants her to meet on this particular day. None of this was by accident. I heard about a cowboy who wanted to buy some health insurance, and the agent was making his way down a long list of questions, and he asked the cowboy, well, have you had any accidents in the last year? And the cowboy said, no, none at all. Uh, I was bitten by a rattlesnake, and a horse kicked me in the ribs, though. And the agent said, well, wouldn't you consider those accidents? And he said, uh, no, they both did it on purpose. <laughs> and you know what God does? God does on purpose. None of the things that we see God doing here in the book of Ruth are by accident. This is the sovereign hand of God. He's the main character in the book of Ruth. And friend, he's the main character in your life. And he's the main character in my life. And 
even though we may not always see it, he has a plan. And he's calling us to trust in his providence for our lives. And as believers, it should give us an incredible amount of confidence to know that our lives are not out of control, that our lives are not the the, the victim of chance and fate, but that we rest in the hands of our God. Maybe today is the first time you've been in church in a long time. Friend, that's not by accident. That's a part of God's plan for your life. He wants to speak to you today. He has a particular message that he wants you to hear today. He wants to change your life if you will let him. And so when we don't know where to turn, first we need to turn to God. We need to trust his plan. But secondly, when we trust God's plan, you know what? We also get to witness God's grace. And you know, when we're bitter, like Naomi was, it's hard to see God's grace. Because you look around you, and everywhere you look, it just seems like you've been given a raw deal. You look around you, and it seems like everybody else has it better than you. But when you're trusting in the Lord like Ruth was, and when your eyes are fixed on the Lord like Ruth's was, then he helps you to see the evidences of his grace that are really all around you. You know, back up in verse 2, Ruth said, Let me go and glean heads of grain. Listen, after him in whose sight I may find favor. And the word favor there can also be translated grace. Ruth knew that if she was going to make it, she had to get up and do what she could do. But Ruth also knew that if she was going to make it, then she needed to find grace. She needed to find favor. In someone's eyes. And that someone shows up in verse 4. Now, behold. It's, it's almost to say, look who arrives. Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So God's sovereign plan continues to unfold. Because on this particular day, Boaz decides to leave Bethlehem to go out to his fields and to check on the status of his harvest. And the first conversation that we hear in the fields is not a conversation between Boaz and Ruth. It's a conversation between Boaz and his workers. And you hear them as they bless one another. He says to them, the Lord be with you. First words that we hear Boaz saying is a blessing. The Lord be with you. And his workers respond, and the Lord bless you. Now, we can't read too much into it, but you do get the impression that these workers did not have their resumes out. That they weren't looking for work in another field. That they liked their employer. That they liked working in the fields of Boaz. That this says something about his character. Boaz is a model for us. But as Boaz scans his harvest fields that day, his eyes fall on someone that he doesn't recognize. And in verse 5, he asks the foreman, whose young woman is this? Now, we don't know why he inquired about her. We don't know if it was love at first sight or if he was just curious to find out more about who this woman was. But his foreman answers his question in verses 6 and 7. It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said to me, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. 
Well, Boaz had never seen Ruth before, but as we find out later, he had already heard all about her. The story of Ruth, how she had come back to Bethlehem with Naomi, that story had already gotten all over the little town of Bethlehem. Boaz had heard all about her, and Boaz was impressed with her. And we find that out in the following verses. He was impressed with her loyalty, with her faithfulness, with her love that she had shown to her mother-in-law. Now he was impressed with her work ethic. And as the foreman said, she had come out and worked like a dog all day long and had only taken one break in the shade. We've seen a glimpse of Boaz's character and we also see here a glimpse of Ruth's character. Again, she was trusting in God's plan. She was praying for God's favor, but also she was working hard. And she was doing what she could do. And that's a good example for us. And then in verse 8, we come to the first exchange, the first conversation between Boaz and Ruth. And as we look at the conversation that unfolds between them, I want us to notice the grace that Ruth experiences at the hands of Boaz. And even more than that, I want us to see the grace that we can experience at the hands of of God. First off, we can see God's initiating grace in this story. It is Boaz that walks up to Ruth and speaks with her and says to her in verse 8, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. You can see that there's an age difference between these two as he refers to Ruth as my daughter. And yet you can also hear the love and the concern for her that is found in his words. But again, notice it is Boaz who takes the initiative and speaks with Ruth. Boaz is about to show her grace, and this grace is an initiating kind of grace. And of course, when it comes to our love story with God, he is the one who has initiated everything. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, but God took the first step. God reached down to us and sent us his only son who died in our place and rose again. God's grace was an initiating grace in all of our lives. And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, I have no doubt that you love him. But remember what it says in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. God's grace is an initiating grace, but also his grace is a protecting grace. You can only imagine what Ruth must have felt walking out in the fields that day, how vulnerable she must have felt as a foreigner, as a woman, as someone who was not known by anybody there, and yet Boaz understands that. And so the first thing that Boaz does is he reassures her of his protection in his field. As he says in verse 8, Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Maybe there were some who thought that field hopping, going from one field to the next, was the best way to get as much as you could. But Boaz says, don't do that. Stay here in my field. Stay here with my young women. Most likely he's not referring to other gleaners when he says that, but he's referring to female workers who were a part of the harvest. As the men would go and cut down the stalks of grain, they would leave them behind and the women would come behind them and would tie them up in bundles to be carried away. And, and Boaz says, you can come up right behind my female workers. You can glean right behind where they are. 
Typically, gleaners weren't allowed to come up that close. They had to wait and come to the field later. But Boaz tells Ruth to come and to get as much as she can, and he assures her of her safety. Verse 9 says, Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? The phrase there means not to lay a hand on you. And that's a pretty all-encompassing command that Boaz has given. It means to not try to rebuke her, to not try to shoo her away. Certainly it means to not be violent towards her, but it also implies to not sexually assault her in any way. You know, right now we're in the middle of the Me Too movement in our society. And almost every day for a while there, it seemed like there was one story after the next and each one was worse than the one before uh, about someone, a woman who was abused and exploited. And oftentimes that took place in the workplace. But as commentator Daniel Block says, Boaz instituted the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace. And so living in a country like ours, that so often abuses and exploits women, Boaz offers a stark contrast. He shows us what a godly man is supposed to look like. He shows us what we should want our sons to be like. The grace that he shows is a protecting grace. And of course, the Lord blesses his children with a protecting grace as well. He tells us over and over in his word to not fear because he is with us. Because he is a mighty warrior who fights our battles for us. So there's an initiating grace and there's a protecting grace, but also there's a providing grace. And we've already seen how Boaz had provided food for Ruth. And we're going to see how he does that even more in the following verses. But notice in verse 9, he also provides her with water. He says at the end of verse 9, when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have Drawn. This was huge. It meant that Ruth didn't have to waste time to stop her gleaning, to go and draw water for herself, but she could take the water that had already been drawn. In all of these ways, Boaz was providing for Ruth and Naomi. He gave them the gift of providing grace. And church, God has provided for us as well. He is the one who gives us our daily bread. Whether we get that daily bread from a harvest field or whether we get it from the Walmart grocery pickup, God is the one who has provided it. He, he provides for us physically. He provides for us emotionally. He's provided for us spiritually. Paul said in Ephesians 1, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and he has given us providing grace. But then also notice here a picture of God's comforting grace, his comforting grace. In verse 10, we read that Ruth is so touched by Boaz's words that she falls down on her face in gratitude and in humility. And she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? The, the idea is, why did you even notice me? Why did you even pay attention to me? And, and Boaz tells her in verses 11 and 12 that he's already heard all about her. Look at those verses. Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you've left your father and mother, the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you 
by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. I love that expression there in verse 12. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz pictures Ruth like a little baby bird under the wings of her mother. And he says, you have come under the wings of the God of Israel and he will repay you for all that you have done. And in verse 13, Ruth responds to that and she says, let me find favor in your sight. And and really the idea there is, is I have already found that favor and that grace in your sight. And she says, you've comforted me. You've spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. She says, you have touched my heart by what you have said. And we can only imagine how much those words from Boaz did touch Ruth's heart. Again, she had lost her husband. She was childless. She was in a foreign country. She was in extreme poverty. And yet, through Boaz's words, the Lord was comforting her. The Lord was saying to her, you are going to make it. This was comforting grace. And you know, God's grace is a comforting grace for each of us. Again, maybe you came in here today and you're, you're broken. There's something that has happened in your life and you don't even know how to move forward. But it says in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord wants to draw near to you and he wants to draw near to me and he wants to comfort us in the way that Boaz comforted Ruth. And also, Christian, he wants to use you. And he wants to use me to be his means of comfort to someone else. The right word at the right time can mean so much to someone in your life right now who is going through a hard time. Who is God bringing to your heart right now? Maybe you could call them. Maybe you can text them. Maybe you could go visit them. Maybe you could be used by God to bring them today comforting grace. But also don't miss the picture here of accepting grace. Look at verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, this was the noonday meal when Boaz took a break to eat with his workers and he said to Ruth, come here Ruth and eat of the bread and and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So after all that Boaz has already done for Ruth, now he takes this next step and he invites her to sit down with his workers, with his reapers at the noonday meal, and he gives her some of his own food. He gives her this roasted grain. He gives her bread. He invites her to dip that bread in the vinegar sauce that was there on the table. He he is inviting her. He is giving her a seat at the table, and it says she ate until she was full, satisfied. And who knows how long it had been since Ruth had been able to eat until she was satisfied. And not only did she eat till she was full, they also brought her a little to-go box to take some home. Did you see that? 
This was like Olive Garden. You buy one, you take one, right? They, they, they let her take some more home. And later in the chapter, she gives the leftovers to Naomi. This is accepting grace. This is a woman who was a foreigner, a woman who was an outsider to the covenant of Israel. And here is Boaz, this leading man in the city of Bethlehem. And he is accepting her and he is giving her a seat at the table. And church, this is precisely what God has done in our lives. He has reached out to us and he has invited us and he has accepted us and he has called us his sons and his daughters. In fact, it even says that Jesus calls us his friends. What grace we have been shown that we can call the living Son of God our friend. And church, because we who know Jesus have been shown accepting grace, we need to be a people who show accepting grace to others. And so this day, Ruth look, or Boaz looked out on his harvest fields and he saw someone he didn't recognize and he reached out to her with grace and he accepted her. When you come into church on a Sunday morning, do your eyes scan the rows? Do you see someone that you don't recognize and do you reach out to them? Do you go to them with accepting grace? And so often we look to make friends with people who look exactly like us. When God wants us to look for people who feel all alone. Every week there are people who come to our church for the very first time. And you know what they feel like when they sit down? Probably they feel like, at least for a moment, I don't belong here. That's how Ruth felt in those barley fields. But it takes someone. It takes a Boaz. It takes the people of God reaching out and saying, you know what? You do belong here because this is a place where we can all come no matter what we've done, no matter what we've been through, that we're all invited to come and to drink at the well of the grace of God. Accepting grace. And then finally notice extravagant grace. It seems that Ruth is among the first to rise up from the table to head back to work and after she does that, Boaz gives some instructions to his workers on how they are to treat her. And this goes beyond all the other kindnesses that he's already shown. He invites her to actually come up even right around where the bundles of grain were being tied together where they never would let reapers come. And he lets her come right up there so that she can get even more. And then he says this in verse 16, And let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. He, he's telling his workers to be deliberately careless. He's telling them that when you're putting the bundles of grain together, when you have a handful of grain, go ahead and just take out a couple of stalks and just kind of drop them on the ground beside you and walk away. Because he wants her to be able to get even more. This is unheard of in this culture extravagant grace and that's why at the end of this day we read in verse 17 that Ruth was able to gather in one day an ephah of barley that would have been almost six gallons it would have weighed between 30 and 50 pounds it was enough to feed Ruth and Naomi for over a week and now Ruth's only problem was how do I get all of this home this was extravagant grace in church. Has the Lord not shown extravagant grace to us? 
Even though we deserve His judgment, even though we deserve His condemnation, He has shown us grace and mercy, and He has forgiven us, and He has accepted us into His people, and He has adopted us as His sons and His daughters. He's filled us with His Holy Spirit. He's gifted us to serve and be a part of what He's doing in the world, and He's promised us the gift of heaven that we get to be with Him forever and ever. That's an ephah of grace at least. Extravagant grace. And so even though we may feel at this moment like we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, we should stop and thank him for his grace. And we should trust him that the God who has been so gracious to us all the way up to this point has a gracious, good plan for our future. So far we've seen when we don't know where to turn. We need to trust in God's plan. We need to witness God's grace. And finally, we come to a place where we can celebrate God's kindness. Celebrate God's kindness. You know, this chapter in Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, ends with a party. It ends with a celebration back at Naomi's house. I'm sure that Naomi worried all day long about Ruth. How was she faring out in the barley fields? Would she come back with even enough for us to eke out another day in this place? And yet, Naomi was blown away when Ruth comes back, gives her the to-go box, and shows her the huge bag of grain that she had harvested. And you can tell that Naomi is shocked because she says in verse 19, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work In other words, whose fields have you been in that you were able to get all of that? And before Ruth can even answer the question, Naomi says, blessed is he. Blessed is the one who took notice of you. Because Naomi knows intuitively that unless the Lord had answered Ruth's prayer, unless she had found favor in someone's sight, she would never have brought home that much grain. And isn't it encouraging to see in the heart of Naomi that the bitterness is beginning to melt away? And that it's being replaced by joyous faith in God. Because now she's beginning to see that God had a plan all along. Ruth finally answers the question. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And that makes Naomi even more excited. And she says in verse 20, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. When she said, who has not forsaken his kindness to us. It's a little ambiguous whether she's talking about Boaz or whether she's talking about the Lord. And my answer is yes. And she's talking about both, that it was through Boaz that the Lord was showing kindness, his covenant faithful love to Naomi and to Ruth. And then Naomi says this, the end of verse 20, this man is a relation of ours. He's one of our close relatives. The word that is used there is the Hebrew word goel, which means kinsman redeemer. And we're going to talk a lot more about what it means to be a kinsman redeemer next week. But just suffice it to say, this means that this man had a particular place in Naomi's family where he was in a position to be able to do them good. He was in a position to be able to buy back land for them, to be able to give them a fresh start. And also, he was in a position where he could even marry a member of the family to carry on the family's name. And I suspect that Naomi already had an inkling 
that perhaps this was what God was up to. And so after Ruth tells Naomi what Boaz said about staying in his field and not going to anyone else's field, Naomi gives her a piece of motherly advice in verse 22 and said, yeah, that is a good idea. You should stay there. Perhaps Naomi understands that it would have shown a lack of gratitude to go to another field, but I think also Naomi thought that Ruth getting in a little more face time with Boaz was not a bad idea either. And although Ruth did not obey Naomi's instructions in chapter 1 when she said to go back to Moab, she was happy to obey her instructions this time. And so verse 23 says this, So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. That would have been April, May, and June. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, that last phrase of chapter 2 we wonder really why that phrase is there. It seems unnecessary to us. We already know that. We already know that she is living with her mother-in-law. But I think that the narrator concludes chapter 2 with that because of this reason. Even though their need for food had already been met, there was still a need in Ruth's life. Because at the end of chapter 2, the harvest is over and Ruth is still living with her mother-in-law. And we who are reading this love story don't want the story to end that way. We don't want Ruth and Naomi to live happily ever after. We want Ruth and Boaz to live happily ever after. Next week, we'll see if we get our wish. As Adrian Rogers once said, men worry about time. God is only concerned about timing. Everything that God has done in this story so far has been right on time. He brought them back to Bethlehem at the right time. He brought Ruth to the right field where she would meet the right man. And in God's perfect timing, he will bring Ruth and Boaz together. And as we'll learn in the next few weeks, their love story would play a role in God's love story for each of us. But you know, when when you look at the story of Ruth and how it unfolds, what happens here in chapter 2 is really the turning point. When Ruth meets Boaz, everything in her life begins to change because her redemption came through a person. And you know, it's the same for each of us. The Bible says that we're all in slavery to sin. That there's nothing that we can do to free ourselves. That the penalty for that sin is death. But there is hope because there is a Redeemer. And like Ruth, our redemption will only come by meeting one particular person. And that person is Jesus. And when we meet Him, everything begins to change. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love, for your goodness, for your grace. And I pray for the one here who has not yet personally experienced your grace by entering into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray today that they would turn to you. 
Father, there's someone here who doesn't know where to turn, that today they would turn the only place we can turn. They would turn to you in faith. Father, that you would begin to write their part of this beautiful love story that you are writing in the world. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.